Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. We are back. Did we miss anything? This week on the show, we'll try to get caught up on the latest round of conference realignment and what could be next after the Big Ten stun college sports by scooping up USC and UCLA from the Pac-12. The move shook the landscape, but since then it seems the country has fallen into a holding pattern. We're all wondering what will be the next domino to be pushed over, but there really is no clear and obvious move for anyone to make. So we're stuck in a sort of limbo waiting for another bomb to go off. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. This week on the show, we return from vacation with the great Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. He joins me to sift through the possible repercussions and ramifications of the Big Ten's big move out west. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at appodcast.com, where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's excellent NFL podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to give us a good review and rating. It helps more college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me this week on the podcast, the great Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. Pat, thank you so much for uh, taking a little time. to. Um, this is our first podcast. We picked a perfect time to go on vacation. Perfect time to go on vacation, at least so we thought. So I haven't had a chance to really talk about any of this madness that we experienced a week and a half, almost two weeks ago now, when the Big Ten uh, decided to go west. Uh, They used to be the Western Conference, right? Way back in the day, it was (laughs) the Western Conference. So now, there we go. It's living up to its name again. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... uh... One of those things where I, I I do believe it was so shocking that I'll rem- always remember where I was. I was in, in a ramen restaurant in Atlanta, as a matter of fact, when this broke uh, and the panic that ensued. But at the same time, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it also was a bit unsurprising just because you figured we were heading into another spasm of realignment, at least in response to what the SEC did last year. So, uh I mean, I did not really conceive of two Los Angeles schools linking arms with Rutgers and Maryland and everyone in between in one conference, but uh, here we are. Yeah, you know, I think it's a good thing to maybe – I didn't give Pat a rundown. I just said we're going to talk about realignment. So this is, might be a little free form <laughs> but, because there's a lot, a lot of meat on this bone here. Um, yes. But I do like. It's almost good to to look back to last year to a certain degree when when the Texas Oklahoma thing broke, and we're only about a about a week away from the anniversary of that. We're right around the anniversary of that, um, and that was kind of shocking. But much like this, you took a step back and you went, "Yeah, well, Texas, yeah, all right, yeah, I, I guess I could see it. Like it's not, 
it wasn't so shocking in retrospect. And I think this was a little bit of that. But I do remember being, because I have great timing and great decision-making, I was at the Big Ten as media days last year when all this happened with Texas and Oklahoma. So I spent two days at the Big Ten writing about the SEC. And I remember just finding myself thinking like, wow, like, what is the Big Ten going to do here? And the fact that they, it seemed like they didn't have a whole lot of urgency and you wondered Kevin Warren coming off of what was a ridiculously hard first year with COVID and, and there was these questions about whether Warren was really up for this job or if he got the job he bargained for when he got when he was first hired. And now a year later, I think the most fast, one of the more fascinating things that's coming out of this is interesting new look for Kevin Warren here. Uh, extremely, you know, that that's a great point that I think a lot of people thought that Kevin Warren maybe didn't have the gravitas to guide a conference through these tumultuous times. And a lot of people go back to, uh, you know, them deciding not to play during the pandemic and then changing their minds and then and deciding to play. And there was a lot of criticism of his leadership through that. And now I think you look and say, whew, I mean, in in, in the uh, brass knuckles realm of college athletics the way it is now, he can he can put them on and fight with the best of them. Uh, I mean, you know, what all whatever the dynamics are that went into it, whether how much was Fox Sports, how much was USC, uh, and how much was Kevin Warren here, they all came together for a powerful stealthy blow uh the alliance certainly died a a quick and sudden death uh and he showed that look i'm not just here to be a figurehead we're going to make moves and they're going to be major significant moves so uh i think that this is a good time to kind of reframe kevin warren's leadership uh, in the big 10 Hey, listen, my feeling was always it, it, he probably got a little too much blame for what happened with the COVID season and the shutdown, and maybe he'll get too much credit for bringing in these teams. Because, But that's the way it is with that position, right? I mean, the, the commissioner position is you're the leader. When good things happen on your watch, you get to take credit for them, and when bad things happen, you get the blame, and, you know, proportion doesn't really matter so you know good for Kevin Warren man it's he's rewriting his story to us and then of course the other thing that's about to happen is at some point the Big Ten is going to unveil a a billion dollar television deal that he'll get to do a victory lap on so again good on Kevin Warren Um, I I guess that's the next thing like do we anticipate that that I think media day would be a good time to unveil that but I don't know if you're getting any sense from people you're talking to if there might be a few more delays. I, I would think, you know, from what I'm hearing, that they would really like to unveil it at Media Day. But you're also not going to rush into anything. And if if you still got a chance to maybe make a few more moves, you know, you're certainly not going to rush an announcement. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that would be the ideal timing. And they can maximize, yeah, having the spotlight on the league. And, and now their big triumphant acquisition uh, but yeah, the question is, you can't really rush a billion dollar deal. Uh, so better to wait and make sure that's all tied up. And maybe it will be by, I think it's the 26th and 27th, two weeks from now when they'll uh, have their media days in um, in Indianapolis. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I don't, 
I couldn't even pretend to tell you what all may be involved in sewing up a rights agreement like that. But yes, there is also the question of, do we make another move or not? And uh, I think you and I have both kind of gotten the sense that we are in a pause period right now, but you never know how long a pause period is going to last. It, it, it uh, almost it, feels more like a stalemate. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like there's a bunch of schools and conferences looking at each other like, what are you going to do? Well, what do you want to do? Well, once you tell me what you want to do, maybe I'll figure out what I want to do. I think stalemate's a very good word for it. And the the chief, the stalemater in chief right now is Jack Swarbrick in Notre Dame. Um, I think that's where it starts. If they move, a lot of other things move. If they don't, I think everybody just sits here and eyeballs each other for a while. Yeah, I mean it's it's leverage of life, man. Like it's good to be Notre Dame right now. Let let's okay. Let's. It's hard to sort of project out what might happen, but let's sort of take the players here and and sort of see if we can maybe make a few educated guesses or at least kind of break down where they're, uh, why they're stalemated. Uh, it would seem to me that if you're Notre Dame, you're realizing you have a ton of leverage here. Um, I don't know how much the Big Ten is up for being leveraged, though. So uh, I'm trying to envision the conversations of Notre Dame because I just I I don't know about you, Pat, but I have a hard time seeing Notre Dame just saying like, yeah, we're on board. We're a team player now. Whatever you want from us, Big Ten, we're 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 up for it. Like, I just wonder if Notre Dame is going to sort of say like, well, sure, we'll join the Big Ten if we can get something. What 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 might Notre Dame want to get? But for yeah, joining think, the Big Ten. I think that's a great question. Uh, I, I think the only two things that could move Notre Dame right now are if they're, if it's access to the playoff uh, is jeopardized or disappears, and I don't think that'll happen, or the ACC splinters uh, and falls apart where they have most of their sports playing there, and they feel like they've got to they've got to move everything to to the Big Ten. Um, for the former, you know, I think that they're kind of in almost a protect, protected stance from a playoff standpoint because uh, if 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 the SEC and Big Ten decide to play hardball with the playoff and exclude other people, whether it's shrinking it or whatever, or just making it harder for them to get in, you the SEC could be pushing Notre Dame towards the Big Ten, and they don't want that. Mm-hmm. ESPN slash the SEC versus Fox slash the Big Ten. They don't want to send the most valuable property on the market to a Big Ten that just added two more valuable properties. So I think Greg Sankey will make sure that Notre Dame has access to the playoff, whatever the playoff looks like in its next iteration. Uh, the other part of it, theoretically also the ACC is in a – Stable, not necessarily a happy situation, but a stable situation because the grant of rights extends to 2035, 36. So, you know, who the heck's going to get out of that and destabilize the conference? But we also know that there's a bunch of schools that are chafing under the current situation there and like, hey, we're, you know, we're falling behind in terms of revenue. We would love to move if we can. Let's try to explore our options legally. Uh, and so I think if, if people could find a way out of what would be an onerous grant of rights revenue lost, I think they would. And then you might see North Carolina, Clemson, Florida State, Miami, Virginia, all looking to move. And then that might be something that would uh, would kind of increase uh, Notre Dame's urgency to move. But for right now, 
I think Notre Dame is is sitting there with a with a pretty flush hand, waiting to renegotiate with NBC and thinking they're going to make a lot more money on the next contract. Yeah, you know it's so interesting. One of the things I would always tell people about why Notre because there would be this. Well, they they sort of speaking of the rest of college football need to force Notre Dame into a conference. They need to force yeah. Notre Dame into a conference, and to which I would generally apply, but. Notre Dame can only be in one conference. So the rest of them who don't get Notre Dame don't want Notre Dame in the other conferences. It doesn't <laughs> behoove the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, or as you say now, it's it's down to the SEC and, and, and Big Ten, really. It doesn't behoove the SEC to force Notre Dame, and it never has been, which is one of the reasons why Mo- Notre Dame gets this most favored nation status. The one thing I would also throw out there, Pat, is I do wonder when the math just doesn't add up for Notre Dame. At a certain point, Notre Dame, forget it, the fact that it's in the ACC, as at least partially in the ACC. Notre Dame's peers, or it believes its peers, are the teams that compete for national championships. And if USC, which is truly its, its peer and rival, is now pulling in, I don't know, $75 million, whatever ridiculous sum that the Big Ten is going to be handing out to its members. And Notre Dame, as much as it maybe gets a bump from NBC and, you know, squeezes every nickel and dime out of the gold dome, there's they still, you know, say, well, if USC and Ohio State are getting X amount of year and we're only getting Y and Y is a lot less than X – how are we peers? How are how are we rivals with these teams? How do we compete against our peer, quote-unquote, peers? So I do wonder if there's a tipping point when it comes to just the math here. Well, that that's absolutely the key question there. And I was asking it over July 4th weekend, talked to a bunch of people, and there is a school of thought that, yes, this will become untenable. And then there's a counterpoint from some people kind of familiar with Notre Dame's situation, are like, eh, we're not going to be as far behind as people think. And I don't know the specifics. I mean, there's been a lot of published uh, numbers for what they're getting from NBC, and it's nowhere near what a lot of people are getting from other conferences. But I wonder if, A, if that's wrong, or B, if they feel like they could maybe even like double their NBC revenue in addition to getting some from the ACC in addition to, you know, keeping all of their own uh, postseason revenue and, and obviously their, their home games and all that sort of thing. Uh, but, I, like, despite what we may think and what it looks like, I've got people telling me, no, nah, Notre Dame will be okay. And one thing, like, they've never been a $200 million uh, expense sort of athletic department. They haven't been Texas. They haven't been Ohio State. They don't have that many they don't have 36 sports like like Ohio State does or Stanford uh and they they are a little more lean in terms of their expenses and I think Notre Dame would like to keep it that way like they they'd be okay if if they don't have to be at the very top end of revenue because they're not going to be at the top end of expenses so that that was at least the gist of what I was told now we'll see if it plays out that way (laughs) they may look at the numbers of whatever the Big Ten's paying out a year from now and say ah we need that. We're going in. 
Yeah, and, and then you know the other part of it is Notre Dame being a private school. We it, it, it's always a little unclear of what the books are with Notre Dame, right? Exactly, exactly how much they're spending and what other streams of revenue. You know, people sort of sometimes downplay this, but you know the streams of revenue that you can make locally. Um, uh, you know, we always talk about what conferences pay out. I remember, you know, and listen, you know, Larry Scott wasn't exactly, you know, didn't wasn't exactly the greatest commissioner, and I didn't he didn't make a ton of friends. But I always agreed with him as far as this is concerned because he always would stress this. You know, our school it's not just conference revenue, right? Like it's like there there is a lot of revenue that schools make locally that and 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 the, like we can't fix that. And so I I do wonder how much Notre Dame makes just on, you know, the fact that it's Notre Dame. Its own brand brings in a fair amount of revenue. Um, Let me turn to the Pac-12 and the Big 12 here. Uh, I I think it's still being called the Pac-12. They haven't officially changed that name yet. uh, And we'll see what happens because I'm not really sure. You know, I've had people tell me, listen, the Pac-12 should not go out and just grab two more schools or whatever it's it's you know they should think bigger than that and we've heard about loose partnerships and god forbid we use the word alliance or business deals and all kinds of ways that they maybe you know pac-12 and the acc could get together this idea that maybe the pac-12 and the big 12 should merge or do something along those lines and the big 12 of course found themselves in a rare position of strength where they weren't the ones being plundered so of course the initial wave of reporting was the big 12 is going to be aggressive and the big 12 is going to target these teams and serious discussions with these Pac-12 teams, which, of course, that should be the case. The Big 12 has a new commissioner, and they want to, again, sort of show a position of strength. But I I think ultimately when we start talking about partnerships and this and that, I I feel like this is Survivor Series, man. Like, (laughs) I I, I think it's like the Pac-12, the Big 12, the ACC, one of these is not going to be around in 10 years and and I'm I'm wondering if you maybe have you handicapped which one is in the best shape? I a little bit. Um, and yes, I agree that that probably it's inevitable that one of those you know we, we, at the most we're going to have four of these major conferences, which I don't like. I you know I I would hate to see any of them disappear because I do like the national flavor of the sport via its various regional kind of uh, outlets and entities and and there's distinct charms, benefits, and also drawbacks, but to all of them, to the Pac-12, to the Big 12, to the ACC. Um, You know, I mean, the Pac-12 is obviously in a precarious situation. Uh, You can can look at metrics and come up with numbers that say that, you know, their their membership that they have right now, their 10 teams on average are – more attractive than the big 12s, 12 teams. If you want to throw in things like academics and all sports excellence. Uh, But how much do those really count versus TV viewership and football relevance? And that's where things get dicey for them. Um, You know, I think Oregon and Washington would go tomorrow to the big 10 if they had an invite, but I don't think they do. They have to decide you know, do we want to stick with this 10-team formation? Do we want to try to look at the Big 12? Do we want to try to get into a bi-coastal situation with the ACC? 
And then you've got the four schools, obviously, from the old Pac-12 South, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, and, you know, their discussions with the Big 12. You know, if there's safety in numbers, then the Pac-12 slash 10 is certainly the most vulnerable. If there's concern over a lack of a bell cow, they have it. So does the Big 12, uh, frankly, uh, without Oklahoma and Texas. But you the, know, or, two- the Oregon looks more like that part than any of the schools that we're talking about. Oregon is probably situated to be a bell cow more so than even any of the, the, the Big 12 schools. Yeah, yeah, definitely more than the Big 12 schools. You know, the, the, the thing, the only drawback really for Oregon, like they, you know, compared to the, those, they, they, they do well in terms of television, uh, but I'm not sure, like if, when, they, when they're not on top, when they're not playing well, their TV market goes away to a degree that people don't watch them. Um, but so it's incumbent upon them to, to remain relevant and remain good. Their non-revenue sports are good. They're not spectacular. Their academics are eh, mediocre. But again, if you if you could count on them as a football entity, then yeah, they're a, they're a pretty good pillar to build around. But you know whether it's a a Big Twelve, even Ralph, if there's a Big Twelve, Pac Twelve commingling, what about Cal and Stanford? I don't mm. see Cal and Stanford seeing being real excited about being in the same league with Texas Tech and West Virginia. Well, that's the the interesting. With us, there's a lot of interesting things about this. But then I, I, you know, you hear about Notre Dame in the Big Ten, and that Notre Dame would like Stanford to be in the Big Ten as well. And listen, I, again, we all know that these decisions are are made because of football and television. But you know, there's a bunch of Big Ten presidents going, "Oh, we would love to have Stanford." Like, yeah. yes, yes, more like the the most prestigious academic university that plays major college sports in the Big Ten. There are like presidents swooning over that in the Big Ten. So, like, yeah, but but then like like poor Stanford sitting there looking at Notre Dame, like, dude, like you hold our like you hold our fate in your hand. <laughs> yeah. Like, because yeah. if not, I mean, you know, like you could also, I mean, you have a, you have a, 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 a genius daughter who just graduated, just graduated from Stanford, right? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, you know all about Stanford as, as prestigious as their academics and, and, and as proud as their athletic history is. I mean, I could also see Stanford just sort of going like, you know what? We don't want any part of any of this. Like yeah. we're going to still do our athletic thing, but we're just not going to do it with it, with any of you people. Like we're just, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out on our own over here and maybe join the, be the West coast Ivy league or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think if it comes to like either the merging of the PAC 12 with another league or just the dismantling of the PAC 12, I could easily see Stanford say, no, we'll just be independent and we'll see how football goes. And if it's not going very well, we'll de-emphasize football. You know, like it's not the kind of place they have a 38 billion with a B billion dollar endowment. They're not that worried about how they do it football. I mean, they'd like to be good at it, but but I think if push comes to shove, they'll say, yeah, we'll you know, we'll play whether it's, yeah, play the Ivy Leagues or play in the Pioneer League or whatever, you know, they'll they'll find something else to do and, and try to maintain relevance in their other sports. Yeah, and hang around with Cal, and that'll give Cal somebody to be with. And, and, and honestly, like, I think they could make a nice life together. I mean, you're right. These, these schools are not they, – they are not predicated on, on full stadiums and winning, winning football championships. You're listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. 
with your host, Ralph Russo, the Associated Press College Football Writer. If you have any questions for our host or any of our guests, email the show at aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. And to get the rest of your football fix, also take a listen to the AP Pro Football Podcast with host Rob Mott, writer and sports radio personality, as he tackles all the important news on and off the field of the National Football League and provide you with insider exclusives and in-depth analysis along with insightful interviews with Hall of Famers, current players, coaches, and executives. Rob will take you around the league, break down the biggest games, and keep you in the know only the way AP can. Like, subscribe, and comment wherever you get your podcasts. Now, back to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. So, okay, help me game this out here with the Big Ten and the possibility of more West Coast. Because I think there was an, a, the initial reaction. And again, there's a lot of like, somebody described it to me like this. When, when the bomb goes off of the Big Ten getting USC, UCLA, it was like, it's like when you, if you, if you flipped over the, the fish tank and all the fish are out of water, and are just sort of like you know, you know, flipping around and gasping, and it's it's a very like it's a very uh, uh, dramatic and and sort of uh, angst ridden time, right? Just like a bunch of fish flipping around, and as soon as you put them back in the water, everything calms down, right? Yeah. And that's I think what what sort of happened. Like the the bomb went off, the fish were all out of the water. Everybody was like on the phone in college sports was like, "Well, what are you doing? What am I doing? Like, we got to figure this out." Um, and of course, everybody. The, the, of course, the fun thing about college sports is everybody is double dealing, right? Because you can imagine the meetings in the Pac-12 right now, where they sit around a table together and are like, "We're committed to each other. We're going to make this work." And as soon as the meeting's over, they're on the phone with somebody else, going, "So, what do you got for me? So, what can, yeah. what can, how can we get out of here?" Which is just. I mean that nothing sums up college sports better than that, right? The fact Perfect. that everybody, oh, yeah. everybody is double dealing on everybody else. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I love your analogy about the fish out of the fish tank and then put them back in the water. And yes, everything calms. But but yeah, the one thing like fish have a short memory. And so they don't remember being out of the fish tank. Human beings do. And they're like, that's why you get to that second level of it, of the double dealing of like, yeah, you know, we'll say everything we need to say. We are in. We are totally committed until the minute we're out. And yeah. then we are gone. We can't wait to you know get to a better place. So so, so let me get uh, let me get back to this to this idea of building out a West Wing with Oregon and okay. Washington. So uh, I, I immediately that seemed like a great idea. Like why wouldn't you want two more teams? Because if your idea if the if the goal is to have Big Ten football from noon until two a.m. Eastern time on every Saturday. You can't just you didn't bring USC and UCLA into your conference to stick them with a bunch of 10 p.m. kickoffs like that's I'm sure USC and UCLA did not sign up for that, too. But if you have four West Coast schools, you can sort of rotate them through and, have, you know, throw one of them a night game, you know, every week. And you could have a pretty nice deal there. But I also sort of play out the idea that, well, if you're the Big Ten you're not showing any of your games late at night. Like all of your games will be in prime TV spots. And B, I don't know if I'm USC and UCLA. I don't want Oregon with me. I, I like like 
screw that. Like I like that they were living off my 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 Southern California recruits that we want. And if we're in the better conference, we shut down that Oregon machine. Like, we don't have to deal with that. So I, I don't know. Like, a, and the initial idea of building out a West Wing seemed pretty good. But now the more I think about it, if you want the best USC and UCLA, maybe it's best to shut out the rest of the West Coast. Yeah, I think you got to it there where you said that, that, that they, they now have something US, uh, that Oregon and, and Washington can't offer. Um, you know, they've got that super high exposure they've got membership in one of the two prestigious leagues don't give them yeah don't don't let them have to maintain their pipeline to recruit southern california at least make them change what they are uh what they can sell uh so i that's my sense and i i did have somebody tell me as this all this was coming down was you know, if USC and UCLA really wanted Oregon and Washington along with them, they would have gone along with them. And, mm. you know, this all may have come down at once. So uh, my thought is that, yes, while, look, from a scheduling standpoint, it would be much, much easier for them to be able to play three conference football games a piece on the West Coast than playing one against each other, USC and UCLA, and then traveling for the, for five or six others or, or five, I guess, others. Um, but I think the other thing is, as we've said, as we kind of talked about here in the zero-sum game, what hurts you helps me. And if you're hurting Washington and Oregon with this setup, then that's a, that's a plus for Oregon and – I'm sorry, for USC and UCLA in terms of Recruiting and exposure on the West Coast. Yeah, and, and and why that works for the Big Ten is you're getting the best USC and UCLA, right? You want, right. like, instead of watering down your West Wing, bring in USC, make them a giant again, and be happy with that. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily need to build out that West Wing. You know, again, who knows? In a couple of weeks, maybe they'll decide otherwise, or maybe in a couple of years, they'll decide otherwise. But the fact of the matter is, like, I can understand the idea of keeping that Western part small and just building up USC and UCLA. What, let me ask you something. What did you make of uh, Martin Jarman came out? And, listen, you're the leader of UCLA athletics when UCLA, when UCLA athletics hits the jackpot. And ends up in the Big Ten. So you get all the credit and you get to be uh, a hero for doing that. And then he comes out and also says, hey, listen, you know, we were massive deficit. We were going to have to start cutting sports. And this is not nothing person to Martin, but like they these sports did exist right before massive TV contracts. I, I just don't know if I'm if I'm willing to uh, to buy the 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 constant theme coming from Martin and others that like well you know if we don't max out our revenue we're gonna have to just cut these sports and we have to pay the players we're gonna have to cut these sports there's just been so much of that over the last few years I find myself going like hey you know USC UCLA's had a probably had a, a rowing team and a volleyball team for 40 50 years 60 years maybe more than that so you don't necessarily need billions of dollars to run these programs I am so glad you said that, Ralph, because that has been a constant refrain of mine for a long time, that it's amazing as the revenues have skyrocketed, all of a sudden we don't have enough money for sports. Wait a minute, how'd you have enough money before when you weren't making anywhere near as much? What happened here? 
You just got around to spending more. That's what happened. Your athletic department mushroomed in size. You had Chip Kelly spend $5.4 million in a single year on food. You have (laughs) staffers on top of staffers within the football program. You build opulent new facilities. The basketball practice facility out there is outrageous. Maybe it should be because it's UCLA basketball, but still, you are making decisions to spend all this money, and then all of a sudden you say, oh, gosh. We, 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 we might have to cut sports. And the fact of the matter is UCLA, according to its website, which I'm looking at right now, has 21 sports. That's not a lot. Yeah, That's not that much compared to a lot of other places, certainly compared to Stanford, compared to Ohio State and several others. So I, I just I, I I'm sorry that that logic bothers me. And I think this what what this whole kind of stance of. We're doing this to help our student athletes. No, that really is not helping them. It's not going to help your women's basketball team to play on a Tuesday night in State College, Pennsylvania. It's going to ruin their academic week is what it's going to do. It's not going to help your volleyball team to go across the country to play. You know, that, that just you, you can't convince me otherwise of that. So I, I, I am bothered i guess by what they're trying to sell us to a degree here I, I, to me you're doing it because you want the money and yes I, for some reason ucla needs the money but i think you need to look at yourself and under, and maybe figure out why do we need the money that badly i know they've had attendance issues in football i know it's expensive to live out there but come on there, there has to be something beyond well we were going broke if we didn't do this right and it's not listen again it's not just a ucla deal we hear this from a lot of athletic administrators and coaches and things along those lines and you know again the other part of the problem is you talk about you know how many football staffers and how you know a taj mahal of a practice facility they're also pouring a zillion dollars now into these smaller sports right like you can't just like have like now you know, USA Today has done a good job on this, on how the Olympic sport coaches are now all making, you know, upwards, you know, in the in the mid six figures, right? Like, you know, yeah. like like now all of a sudden your tennis coach has to be making four hundred fifty grand a year too. You know, <laughs> and I understand you can say, well, it's for the kids. We want to do what's best for the kids. We want to give them the best coaching in the world and the best facilities in the world and best training in the world. So I, again, I kind of get that, but. You know, there was a point when you didn't necessarily have to pay a rowing coach one hundred fifty thousand dollars. So let, let me let me as we're as we're shaking our fists at clouds here. Let me let me continue <laughs> doing that, but just on a different topic here, um, because we're both old, and I hear people talking about well, the charm of college football. This and my initial reaction to what happened with the Big Ten and USC and UCLA was very similar to what happened last year with Texas and Oklahoma, which is the the, the reaction was, I don't think this is good for college football, but I am interested in watching Oklahoma play Alabama a lot more often. So, like, okay, like, like there there's some there's some bright side here. So again, similar situation. I don't think this is good for college football. But more USC Michigan games, yeah, I, I think I could sign up for that. That yeah. bring that br- that sort of brings me to this. Like, I, I think that there is this woe is me among people of our generation of like, well, we're losing what makes college football special. We're losing what makes college football great. But I also wonder if that's just old guys like it's saying like, oh, it was better in my day. Like, there's a whole generation of of college football fans who are going to basically just grow up with this, and this is going to be normal. So I don't know, man. Like, is this 
bad for college football? Are we just being old guys who want what the way we who want it the way we had it when we were young? Um, I mean, it's an absolutely legitimate question. I guess my thinking alongside along is this: Yeah, there's probably some element of old guy in this, but I would also say that it just doesn't make sense to put teams in California in the same conference with teams in Maryland and in New Jersey. Uh, It's untenable from a logistical standpoint. Again, the academics will suffer. The exhaustion in season will be significant, I think, for these athletes. Um, You know, and to me, like, I, 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 I agree that like some of these matchups will be fun. I mean, you can think about that and say, yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and we, you do have to accept a constant churn of change in college athletics. You know, we're, we've got it with name image and likeness, which is fine. I don't, you know, I'm not old guy opposed to that. I think that's a needed uh, evolution. Now the, the actual execution of it's a different story maybe, but still they, the players needed a cut of the pie. And this is exactly why, because everybody's just reaching for the money. Um, but I I was more bothered by USC and UCLA doing what they did than by Texas and Oklahoma. Texas, for one, has just been a squeaky wheel for a long time. They've been hard to deal with. And the Big 12 was a dysfunctional mess for the entirety of its first 26 years of existence, right? You know, I mean, they were cobbled together from the Southwest Conference and the Big Eight, and nobody really ever got along, and teams have come and gone before. The Pac-12, that was not the Pac-12. I mean, yeah, that started no, that's out true. as Pac-12 was an institution. Conference. Yeah, t- Pac-12 yeah, has in been 1915, an institution. Yeah. And these schools have, were together. So all of the current members, except for the, the, the late additions from Arizona and Arizona State, Utah and Colorado, have been together since the 1920s. And to blow that up, that bothers me more. When you mentioned the Big 12 always being dysfunctional. So our pal Andy Staples threw out an idea that what the Big 12 should do to just basically nuke the Pac-12 is tell Oregon and Washington and maybe anybody else who, who's coming in from the Pac-12, um, you have an uh, you have an open-ended uh, uh, you have an open-ended deal with the with the ability to leave for the Big Ten. Like we want you, we we'll, we want you in part of our conference, but we'll write up the contract that says if the Big Ten comes calling, you get to leave. Which frankly is not a terrible idea. If your idea is sort of short-term preservation and you want to make sure you are the winner in this standoff between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. But I also found myself thinking, like, that is the perfect way for the Big 12 to to continue being the Big 12, right? Bring in a couple of members, give them elite status, make it completely unstable that they could leave at any time and basically like set up your conference where it could crumble at any second because, another t- because a bunch of teams have the ability to leave at any time um so th- that's why it's hard for me to believe that the big 12 could come out of this as the winner <laughs> like like the big 12 actually could end up being a, the, the the one of the survivors here because the big 12 was never even never built to survive yeah no absolutely the, I mean, the big 12 yes has just been a kind of you know, who's on the life raft today and who's off and, and where are we going? We don't know. We just got to keep the life raft inflated and afloat. And so that's just kind of been their approach. And I, it would be an interesting play. You know, I mean, you basically, you're, you're saying one of two things to Oregon and Washington there. You're saying, 
hey, yeah, you know, you can help us and we can help you right now. So let's do it. But you're also really kind of saying, we do, we, we're calling your bluff. You're not ever getting in the Big Ten. So right. you better just join with us and we'll give you the out, but you're going to end up with us. And the next go around, you'll sign on long term. I, I, it would be a fascinating gambit um, and one that, yeah, I would not be surprised if they're, if they're talking about. It. And I, I am looking forward to hearing what Brett Yormark, the new commissioner of the Big 12, has to say about the future of his league and everyone else. Uh, when he talks on Wednesday at uh, Big 12 Media Day. Yeah, let, let's wrap it up here because I know you uh, you actually have to catch a plane in a little while to go to Big 12 Media Days. I, I am not going to be at that event. Um, so that was the other that seemed like big news I, when I was on vacation <laughs> that I missed. And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. And I wasn't there for that. But I'm not coming off vacation for that. They can they, my, my colleagues are more than capable of handling that one themselves. Um <laughs> But, you know, I know Brett Yormark a little bit because I live in Brooklyn and he ran Barclays Center. And when Barclays Center has hosted big time basketball, right, the A-10 uh, has been there for a while and it's hosted the ACC. And he was vital in, in creating that ACC partnership. So, you know, it, I'm not saying I know the guy well, but I've sat down with him for a couple of interviews and conversations and things along those lines. I mean, I, you know, my impression is this guy's a shark. <laughs> like, And I, yeah. like, you know. I'm wondering, as you, you know, I heard, I, again, I wasn't around to do a lot of reporting, but I heard that that hiring took a lot of folks in the Big 12 off guard, that there were a lot of Big 12 ADs texting reporters saying, uh, can you give, do you know who this guy is? Or not that you know who this guy is, but can you give me a feel of like what this guy's about? Um, so my question to you, Pat, is what have you learned about like what this fit is? Because he's obviously walking in at an interesting time. And again, like my impression is this guy's a shark. So this might be a good time to be led by a shark. Yeah. You know, and it is funny. I mean, when that when we were chasing that news, uh, <laughs> like that was like, oh, gosh, that's going to be the big news of the summer. And that's why I immediately signed on to go to the Big 12 media days. Well, other things happen, but. <laughs> It is big news for the Big 12, and I agree with you that like the timing could be right for this sort of thing. He's got to get the lay of the land and you know learn his constituency and, and what they are about and more what, what they want and what they can do here. But you know, I think he's leaning heavily on the, the experienced ADs in that conference, like Mac Rhodes and at Baylor and Kirby Hillcutt at Texas Tech and Shane Lyons at West Virginia. Um, and then yeah, I mean, this is a guy that he's a a pro sports business guy. Uh, and that seems to be the trend of what people want in a, at least somebody just with a lot of business and entertainment industry savvy uh, going into this. And that's, that's what you need. Yeah. You got to figure out, let's crunch some numbers. Let's see what sort of deals we can make. Let's, let's see what's going to work for us that might work for you or uh, you know, how this, uh, this all could play out. So the, this could be the right time for an unconventional fit in that league. Well, Pat, it is, um, just to let the listeners know, it's 1242 Eastern Time on a Tuesday afternoon here. As of right this moment, there are no, there is no new news in <laughs> conference realignment. So hopefully I can get this podcast posted without it being completely irrelevant uh, by the, for, the, for the rest of the week. Um, Pat, um, so glad you could help me out today and join me on relatively short notice. Enjoy Big 12 Media Days. Maybe I'll see you at Big 10. I think that's where I'm heading because I yep. think that's where all the news is. And I know that's a relatively short drive for you. So my guess oh, is yeah. I'll probably run into you there. You bet. I'll be there. And uh, yeah, let's let's hope this podcast gets a little shelf life before the next bomb drops. 
Thank you very much, Pat. My pleasure. Before I get the three and out, I wanted to do this. I didn't give Pat's podcast with the great Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports a pop. Uh, that is the College Football Inquirer. You can find it wherever you get your pods. Pat is with Sports Illustrated. Dan is with Yahoo Sports. But they were co-workers for a long time and good buddies. And they have, I would call it, the funniest, maybe the funniest, one of the funnier college sports podcasts around. They like to yuck it up. They do some serious work as far as getting to the bottom of a lot of the mess that is college sports uh, with good journalism and great insight. Uh, But they also have a lot of fun doing it. So check out the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel and Pat Forty wherever you get your pods. And now, three and out. First down. A couple of things we didn't get to with Pat that I wanted to bring up now. Uh, We talked about the drawbacks of having conferences that are not geographically aligned for sports other than football. I wanted to address that just for a second. I think in the Big Ten, this could work out okay, or at least better than most places, because there will be so much money flowing into the conference, it can get creative with scheduling and travel to alleviate some of the strains. But I also think we're moving quickly toward a sport-by-sport conference affiliation model, with football being broken out from the rest of the sports, maybe along with basketball. So the volleyball team and the tennis team and the track team can compete more regionally for most schools, while football programs can align in a more far-flung manner because they play only once a week. The bottom line is many of the solutions that we're heading toward, I think, in college sports include moving away from how we've grown accustomed to all this stuff working before. College sports is going to look very different in the upcoming years, and a lot of the things that we think about the way they've always been are simply going to go away. Second down, Pat shared where he was when news broke about the Big Ten and the two L.A. schools. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I was on vacation. I alluded that I was in the Pacific Northwest, the northwest corner of Washington State, to be precise. My family and I go on a trip every year to national parks. This year, it was Olympic National and North Cascade in Washington State. So I was walking along a beautiful rocky beach at low tide after marveling at the starfish and sea anemone and the tide pools and watching a sea otter bobbing in the water just off the shore for about 10 minutes with my daughter and wife. It was so cute. But I had just enough reception on my phone to get a missed call notification. I did not notice the call from my editor, who knew that I was going to be pretty much unavailable for about two weeks. He knew only to try me if it was something really big on the college sports beat. I noticed the missed call and my heart sunk. I checked my email and while I couldn't actually open the email and download the full messages, I was able to see the subject line of one that had the headline of John Wilner's newsbreak on the Big Ten, USC, and UCLA. My very first reaction was a combination of holy and damn it, are you kidding me? Unable to make a phone call, I started firing off text messages. I had just enough signal to be able to do that. They were getting through. 
and then began a fairly long walk back to the entrance to the beach with my wife, trying to remain somewhat calm while telling her, like, honey, I think I might have to do a little work. When I finally got back to the side of the road where our car was parked, I was able to make phone calls. And luckily, within a few, I was able to confirm the news, get in touch with my editor and send an email to him and my colleague who was doing most of the heavy lifting. Eric Olson. Thank you very much, Eric, on this story. So I was able to contribute enough for to to be part of the breaking news and to get us on board with the breaking news, give them a little background. But then it was back to being sort of off the grid or not very well available. It was far from ideal. But considering there were several parts of this trip over about 10 or 12 days, I guess we were gone, where I went hours with no cell phone reception or being in a car unable to check my cell phone, I guess in the big picture, it worked out okay. Third down is a programming note. Next week, we will begin our conference previews. That might include more than one episode a week over the next four weeks. We'll definitely do a preview for each Power 5 conference. I think they'll all still exist starting next week with the ACC. And we'll try to do a G5 preview and we'll also work in a Notre Dame preview segment as well. The goal is to get them all in before the AP preseason poll is released on Monday, August 15th. Wish me luck. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. If you have questions that you'd like me or my guests to answer about realignment, the start of the season, just about anything else, especially if you've got some questions that could be targeted towards our conference previews. Maybe you want to know about a team or a conference or how things are going to play out this year with your favorite team or your your rival or just how a division might look, a division race might look. Send them away. They will help drive the conference previews. The conference previews are going to be pretty thorough. We like to try to hit on just about every team in a conference as best as we can, even if it means only for a couple of minutes. So as much as we try to get pretty comprehensive, your email might help me do a better job of previewing the conference. And if you have questions that you'd like me or my guests to answer, email them to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25, the digits 25, mailbag at gmail.com. Plus, you can throw your realignment questions in there. Who knows what will pop up over the next few weeks? We'd love to hear from you on all topics college football, serious or silly. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening. And come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Podcast.